If you're a business owner and you're thinking about selling your business, you want to listen to this podcast because we're going to talk to you today about what went on in the M&A market in 2023, where it may go in 2024, and how to best position your company to go to market. We have rising rates, valuations are down, investment capital may or may not be scarce, and we have an overall reduction in deal volume, or do we? We are going to talk today about the difference between the overall M&A market and the M&A market that you are probably part of. Welcome to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. In this podcast, we talk with business owners, exit advisors, and a host of others to help you not just exit your business, but execute an elite exit by maximizing transaction value on your terms and without regret. Let's get right to it. Hi, it's Mike Quillen, and welcome to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. This is the first of a two-part show on M&A in 2023 and going into 2024. Today, I'm honored to have two experts in the M&A industry. The first is Rob Swartwood. Rob is an attorney and the founder of a legal firm called Concilium. Rob and I have worked together several times over the years, helping clients achieve an elite exit. And I am fortunate to have him here today to talk about 2023 and his observation of how owners can be successful with their exits in 2024. I also have John Marsh. John is a M&A advisor and the founder of Marsh Creek Advisors. Both John and Rob are great friends and I deeply respect their firms and ask all of my clients and students to at least consider them as they start planning for their elite exits. So Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about your firm and then John will get on to you next. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me today. Uh, I'm Rob Swartwood, the managing member of Concilium. We are a boutique corporate and M&A law firm. Uh, we work with clients uh, typically in the enterprise or valuation range of 10 to $100 million. Uh, my background is in uh, big law. Several years ago, I took the big law buy side playbook and we flip that around and we help a lot of business owners sell. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, cool. Rob and I have done several deals together, and every time we do one, it's an adventure. They're never cut from the same cloth, are they? No. no. <laughs> All right, John, tell me a little bit about your M&A firm. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Marsh Creek Advisors is a sell-side M&A advisory firm helping business owners exit their business on their terms without regrets. We're an affiliate of the Bristol Group, 23 of us around the country. We use best practices, masterminds to help get our business owners, a transaction that works for them. We've got offices here in Atlanta and Dallas, Texas. We serve clients nationwide who have an enterprise value or transaction between $5 million and $75 million typically. Thanks okay. again for having me, Mike. Yeah, sure. $5 million, $75 million. I love the fact that you uh, have stolen the uh, playbook a little bit and the elite exit terminology. Yeah. Remember, an elite exit is maximizing transaction value on your terms and without regret. Let's talk a little bit about the overview of the M&A landscape. It's been an interesting couple of years from 2020, right in the heart of COVID and then post-COVID, and now we're even farther removed from it. So John, maybe you start first and tell us what your observations have been over time and then what you saw in 2023 in terms of deal volume, but also maybe the quality of the companies that came to market in 2023. Yeah, and I think that's the key here. Marsh Creek had a great year, helped nine business owners 
total enterprise value of $75 million on those transactions. We got them successful buyers, but we did see a change in the market. We saw a little more structure on deals. We saw those deals that were sub $7 million and might have some SBA component to them. Those were a little trickier to get done. Those buyers had to be more qualified, had to be more prepared. The cash flow of the business was, was very important and they went through more scrutiny. Not that bigger deals don't go through scrutiny, but the deals we did this year that applied or garnered interest from private equity didn't see much change. There was still a, a good market for those businesses. So I think what we're going to see in, in 24 and moving forward is more businesses coming to market, but a focus on those that have prepared. Yeah. Those folks will have a better outcome than those who have neglected this key planning aspect that they may have been able to get away with in 21 and 22. I think they're going to feel a little more heat going forward on not putting the work in before to have a successful transaction. I don't disagree with what John said. In 2023, we did buy-side engagements and sell-side engagements. And I think on both sides of the coin, what I would tell you is the kind of people selling their companies in 2023 felt like people who were late to the party. Mm -hmm. There was a, a considerable rush, almost a bum rush by the end of 2020, Q4 2020, valuations had sustained through COVID, M&A had chilled only from an activity perspective when the logjam broke at the end of, let's just call it Q4 2020, that continued for about 18 months. The market began to get softer last year. Valuations didn't dip, but deals took longer. We've been saying for a long time that last year was the best year to sell your company. And I knew if I said that long enough, it would eventually come true. And I, th I think I'm finally in the place where I can say that 2022 was... I don't want to say the last best year to sell your company, but terms were optimal for sellers. Valuations were high and buyers were still willing to take risks. What we've seen here in 2023 is a leveling of the playing field. Sellers cannot command as much in terms of seller favorable terms. Valuations have suffered a little bit. And what's interesting about the market is people coming to market in 2023 came with a 2021-2022 mentality. I think John's comments are spot on. Those deals are receiving greater scrutiny. That's only going to increase. And if you're planning on selling your business in 2024, I'm going to tell you could be better than it was in 2023, but it's going to require your preparation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that an interesting, yeah, there's been always, every year, there's all kinds of reports out that tell you how many deals got done, what the classification of those deals were. But I think what's interesting is overall M&A deal volume, there's some sources out there that say it was down 40% in 2023 over wow. 2022. But it gets to what the M&A market really looks like. Is it bifurcated? It is, yeah. And I think it is. I think when you see these macro numbers of 40% reduction and all the rest of it, I think you're talking about primarily these really large deals that suffer some of the characteristics in the marketplace that we're seeing today. So right. high interest rates, potential uh, liquidity and access to capital issues. But if you're a $10 million company, then 
What's the real impact in 2023 been to those companies? John, maybe you have a comment. Yeah, no, I don't think there has been a substantial impact to those companies uh, on the macro level. What I'm seeing is those businesses that have sloppy financials or haven't. We did two deals this year that sold to private equity in very interesting and acquisitive marketplaces. There was the commercial and residential tree company ripe for consolidation. There was another one in executive coaching. And God bless those business owners. They've both become friends, but they didn't do the work that was necessary to get their financials in order. You don't get a pass or fail on a quality of earnings report, but if they did give those out, I think we would have gotten an F on the on the commercial and residential tree business. Now, that buyer was committed to getting a deal done because they needed the marketplace. This was a very good business. And ultimately, we did get a deal done, but it took a lot of time. And I don't know that we're going to get those same results going forward. I think that there's going to be more businesses coming to the market. There's going to be more scrutiny upon those that are prepared. Right. So we haven't seen a valuation dip yet. I'm curious, in 24 and on, would they have gotten the same deal that they got in 2023? I don't think they would have. So it's just, to your point, preparation, I, I think we're going to, I think there's going to be some cream to the crop here on deals that come to market mm -hmm. in the yep. future. Um, what do you think our listeners may be thinking about today that prevents them from taking their company to market? I think that business owners are getting approached by folks like me, private equity firms, strategics, independent sponsors at record levels, email marketing, drip campaigns, they're getting inundated. And I think that creates this false sense of security that, hey, there are buyers galore for my business. They think that M&A advisors just go find a buyer and then go away. There's a whole lot more to what we do. Building a competitive marketplace pays dividends exponentially, both in the price, but also the terms. I think at the smaller level, those SBA size deals, yes, they're feeling the pressure of interest rates and the market. But I think those deals that are appealing to private equity and strategic buyers, there's this false sense of confidence that they can get a deal done without a professional process, without a great M&A attorney without the preparation that you outline in your I'm good checklist. And I think that's creating some really negative or, or a false sense of security. What are you guys seeing? Does that resonate? Yeah. If I'm hearing what John is saying, because there's a lot of activity in terms of soliciting interest for selling people's companies, that naturally equates to I'm running a great business that somebody must want to buy. And what I would tell you is the market activity that John is speaking about is really top of the sales funnel, top of the screening process. Right. The guys that manage money and that are really good at it know that they've got to talk with 100 business owners so that they can look at 10 deals so that they can consider one. So don't be misled by the increase in market activity. I, I want to remind us, though access to capital is limited, Private equity firms in particular and large strategic acquirers are sitting on larger amounts of cash than they ever have, and they have a mandate to deploy it. So there is a need to do deals in the marketplace. Yep. There's $1.7 trillion that is sitting out there in investable capital based on some of the surveys out there by the Fed. That is doing a couple things. Right? It maybe is artificially holding up some valuations out there because this money does have to get executed. Otherwise, they got to give it back. But I think there's also a disconnect, and there always has been for all time, as long as there's been businesses, sellers think that their business is worth more money than buyers think that it's worth. And I think that's a little exacerbated right now because we have had such good 
M&A markets over the last couple of years, when you look at some of the survey data out there and the fact that uh, over 75% of business owners really don't understand what the value of their business mm -hmm. is because they've not had a third party look at it, either through a formal valuation or through an M&A intermediary being able to give them that market outlook. If I may, Mike, we at Marsh Creek provide an opinion of value. It's mm -hmm. a complimentary service for the right type of prospect. And we say no more often than we say yes moving forward because there is that disconnect. If you think your business is worth $20 million and we've done some research, we've recasted your financials and, we've, and, we, and we pull comps and it's worth $10 million, we're probably not a fit to work together. Now, if there's a 10 or 20% delta, we run a process to maximize that and we're conservative. But it's important for you as a business owner to do that often. We say every three months you should ask yourself, grow or exit. Are you growing? And if you're not growing, maybe it's time to approach the market. But at a minimum, you have to know what the market is bearing for businesses like yours, what your adjusted EBITDA is, what your seller's discretionary earnings is if you're in the upper main street, lower end of the middle market. So yeah, you're right. You've got to know what that valuation. Let's go over the I'm good checklist and have this conversation about 2023 and then going into 2024 with some of those elements of the I'm good checklist and talk to the listeners about what they can do to positively impact or improve each of those elements going forward. And what you saw in 2023, were these really a problem? Did they cause you problems as both of y'all did deals for your clients? So let's start with the first one, which is improving cash flow, documenting cash flow, and thinking about ways that your cash flow is going to continue to grow in the future. So maybe, John, you can start with that one. Yeah, Rob and I just worked on a deal that closed last month where this client was in a great position because he was increasing his ca cash flow quite rapidly. The buyer was very interested in, in that cash flow going up through due diligence. That's what's one of the things that we talk about is when you're marketing your business, you do need to focus on increasing that cash flow and showing positive trends. Yeah. And let me interrupt you just yeah. for a second. Define cash flow. We're not talking about your revenue here. No, we're not. We're talking about now this one. It was net. It was net income. There was no EBITDA adjustments. There was no personal items going through the business. It was truly to the bottom line. Now, what the challenge was here is that client couldn't explain it. He had spent a little more money in SEO marketing, he had, but it wasn't the exponential growth. So he didn't have a good understanding and couldn't explain it. So cash flow is good, right? Increasing cash flow, but we're coming off a three-year pandemic where you might have had some inventory that was purchased at a discount, market's gone up or vice versa. So understanding what that cash flow is and being able to explain the fluctuations in cash flow and, and having a handle on your business is really important. And we're here to help do that, right? We're here to help tell that story. But really reporting and understanding exactly what's driving your revenue and, and ultimately your cash flow, understanding your COGS, understanding your SG&A expenses on a line-by-line -line item basis is really important to be able to explain that through the process. And a lot of folks can't do it. They don't have a sophisticated CEO, CFO or even a fractional CFO or even a controller who's giving monthly management reports to that owner and doing the variance or fluctuation analysis on a monthly basis or a minimum quarterly basis to understand, hey, these dollars I put into marketing in the fourth quarter really started showing in the first quarter of the following year. So understanding your business and being able to articulate these changes in revenue, cash flow expenses are super important. Is yeah. it sustainable? Is yeah. the contract there? So 
Yeah, we actually had a deal where we brought in a fractional CFO just to be able to tell the story to the private equity guys. Oh, that's important. And yeah, they overall, they had a really good company. They had, they had good books, but they didn't have somebody that had the sophistication to be able to tell the story when they were doing management that's presentations. So we brought somebody in to be able to do that. And it helped because those private equity guys are going to ask you some really hard questions when they start talking to you about your financials. So sometimes it's good to have somebody that can do that for you. But Rob, as far as cash flow goes, I know that you've got some comments there as well. Yeah. The the thing we tend to think about most is just how you secure those cash flows internally and externally, if not through written contract, at least understanding the, the oral terms. What buyers want to know is whatever it is you're selling them, which is your business's ability to generate cash, is in some way secured. And we oftentimes run into trouble when we take a look behind the curtain. And a business is making a lot of money, but there's not a lot keeping it there. So improving cash flow, being able to document cash flow, being able to tell the story about cash flow are critical. So John, give me one or two things that you would recommend to the listeners that they could do in the next in the next quarter to help them with cash flow. I think part of it is what Rob said. How is that revenue sticky? How sticky is it from a legal perspective? Do you have the contracts that are needed? Is that revenue transferable? Are those contracts assignable? How are they assignable? And 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 part of this, it's maybe in a different section of the I'm good checklist, but who internally is responsible for that revenue? Is it all on the owner's uh, back who is looking to go to Florida and fish for the rest of his life and not be involved in the business? Or is it with key employees? Or is it secured through the product? Maybe they don't even know who the owner is. That's what we love, right? When, right. When the, that may not have answered your question directly, but I think just understanding it and from a legal perspective, having it documented so that we can understand the reoccurrence or recurrence of revenue. It's, it's something that maybe is a little simpler. I've noticed complacency creep in financial statements. Mm. You're running your company. Everything is going great. And before you know it, your expenses have com- are completely out of control Yeah, because you haven't looked at your vendors. You haven't looked at your agreements. You haven't looked at how your employee base has grown and how are they actually impacting EBITDA. Yeah. I had a right? call yesterday with a prospect who uh, has a great business. There's a million in EBITDA, but he says it really should be 1.7 because I've got all this fluff that the new buyer could address. And my comment, the, the new buyer is not going to, number one, pay you on that, but two, they want you to address it before you go to market. The point is you've got to have a handle on the expense side too and not put that off to the buyer. You're not going to get value for potential. So let's make it really simple. Yeah. You save a million dollars in expenses and you're a four multiple. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't have my calculator, but I think that means $4 million. <laughs> $4 million. Bucks. So to me, it, that's worth the time. Yeah. So here's one of the things that I would tell you is that if you go away from this show today and you just say, hey, has complacency creep come into my business? Let me just actually sit down and review what my business is all about, which is really what you said earlier. How can you tell a story? How do you know about your business? Rob, I think you had a comment there. No, okay. He just looked at me. Maybe you're just in awe. I'm engaged. Podcast hosts like this ever. This is awesome. All right, let's move now to institutionalizing management. And what I mean by that is, do you have a self-managed company? 
are you as the owner required to be there every day? Or can you in reality go away, do some of the other fun stuff out there, do only the 20% that you really need to be doing? Or must you be fully engaged? Must the business really have you in place in order to be successful? What have you seen over 2023 that are maybe some deficiencies or some problems and deals that got done because of the management team? I recently represented a couple of different companies, actually, and these folks are in the professional service space. Professional services is, is hard to power down to a team. If you are the product, <clears throat> because you're the big name and you're the big advisor, that's great for ego and it could be great for operations and it, and it could be good for revenue. But we typically see companies that have created a brand and a system and a process, even in the professional services space, do a little bit better at the time of sale. Those are operational aspects. They can turn very quickly into legal issues. If, for example, the body of intellectual property that's used to operate the concern sits with the chief executive who's never actually assigned those rights to the business. So this goes back to securing your cash flows, right? If the company doesn't own the assets that make the company go, then you don't have a secure revenue stream and those cash flows aren't secure. Outside of just the practical realities of what it takes when the chief executive or the founder is involved in the day-to-day, -day, there's a lot of legal implications related to that as well. Let's assume that the business owner has done a great job of building a team. Let's assume that there is a management team in place, but let's also ask about how those relationships are secured. It is common for a buyer to want to see some form of employment agreement with upper-level management. It's also common for a buyer to want those employees to sign new agreements with them, either at the closing table or in the post-closing period. Sellers are oftentimes incentivized to incentivize their key employees to help them transition well. There's tension around the idea of sharing that the company might be considering a transaction. But if you operate your business like you're going to sell it, and the terms of your engagements with your key employees are such that they are incentivized to help you run it like it's going to sell. And if it does magically sell, that they might receive some benefit from it, you've now aligned all the incentives that buyers, sellers, and key employees want to see aligned so that we can achieve an elite exit. That's right. It's, it's really interesting when I talk to people about selling their business and they say, listen, I'm talking to you about this, but I don't want anybody to know. Mm. Who's going to be that champion for you that's going to work on the deal team? Or are you going to do it? There's got to be somebody. Correct. Right. Correct. Having your management team in place and functioning without you, from a deal term perspective, what does that mean? Hmm. I'll tell you what it means. If you're sitting out there listening to me right now and you don't want to work in your business after you sell it, you better have institutionalized management. Absolutely. Otherwise, John and Rob are going to be doing all kinds of negotiating and your probability of achieving the third leg of the elite exit, doing it without regret, is going to be in jeopardy. Institutionalizing management, creating that self-managed company is, is really important. And I 
We've worked on a deal two years ago with Rob where the owner was forced into a position of taking an extended earnout and was required to be with the company for two years. Yeah. And that's not what they wanted to do, but he also wanted to sell his company. So that's what can happen if you don't institutionalize your management team. Well, that concludes part one of our two-part show on 2023 and 2024 and how you can be successful in selling your business. I hope you'll join us for part two, where we're going to talk about additional key value drivers for your business. They include growth, optimizing your financial statements, documenting your operations, and diversifying revenue streams for your business. So tune in to part two. We're going to talk more about these key value drivers and give you some insights into 2024. We'll see you next time.